Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 190 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show helps software developers to get more high-quality job offers and negotiate higher salaries. He is also author of the book, Fearless Salary Negotiation, a step-by-step guide to getting paid what you're worth. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, Josh Doody. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to it. You're welcome. So I really want to understand how you managed to get into this sort of area of uh, salary negotiation. What, what prompted that and how did it happen? It was really more of an organic thing. I mean, I started out, I think we're going to talk a little today about my kind of my career path, but I started in a very typical kind of electrical engineering career and then found my way over to the business side. And on the business side, I happened to be working for software companies that did HR software, which now is kind of like talent development or talent management software, which was responsible for helping firms do employee reviews and set goals and that sort of thing. And so that was my first taste of the employer side of salary negotiation, because I also helped consult with them on how to implement our software and how to modify their internal compensation strategy to be modeled in software so they could get out of spreadsheets that most companies circulate through email. And then later on, I just sort of started negotiating my own salary, made some unique career decisions got kind of comfortable with salary negotiation and noticed that it really helped me make more money and find um, better opportunities. And then friends and family started asking me about it. And I thought, maybe there's something here. Maybe maybe I should write about this so that more people than just the people I know can benefit from it. And so that's when I wrote Fearless Salary Negotiation. And then eventually from that, I started getting a lot of inquiries into, you know, can you help me do this with you know Amazon or Google or another company? And I said, sure. And so that's when I kind of switched over again to you know coaching people through salary negotiation. So it's kind of a, a winding road that ends up with, I coach software developers to negotiate salaries. So how long have you actually been doing that? I quit my day job almost four years ago, and I've been really focused on coaching for um, a little over two years now. For a while, I was kind of just trying to build the business and build my brand and that sort of thing. But it's been about two years and, and a few months since I said, you know, kind of put my stake in the ground and said, I'm, I'm a salary negotiation coach for software developers. And that's what I do full time now. Right. Okay. Well, it probably leads into the first question. So do you have a top career tip that the IT career energizer audience may need to know and possibly don't? Yeah. And it's going to, you know, it'll be kind of obvious when I say it, but it's, it's that you should always negotiate job offers. It's very easy to look at an offer and think, that it's really good. And so I don't need to negotiate it. But usually what that means to me and the clients that I work with is if they offered you what you consider to be a very good salary, then chances are what's actually happening is you underestimated your value to that firm. And so there are a few opportunities to really push the envelope and see what kind of value you bring and how well you can be compensated. And when you change jobs, I think that's the perfect time to make sure before you start working for that new firm that you're paid the best that you can possibly be paid. And so I think it's important when you make those changes just to get your pay as high as you can at the beginning using tactful negotiation techniques to make sure that you push the envelope and see you know how much they may be willing to give you 
before you actually start your job. Because once you're in the door, it can be kind of challenging to really make big moves in terms of pay. Yeah. So I was going to ask about that. So obviously moving between companies, you have that sort of clean break and it's part of the engagement of joining a new company as the salary negotiation. But once you're in, if you're then trying to progress your career and maybe you have an opportunity to move into a role that's, you know, gives you more scope or more responsibility, how, how do you maybe play the salary negotiation for those situations? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and the short answer is that it's it's just a lot more challenging because there are a lot more barriers to making big moves that are usually just sort of baked into um, compensation structures within companies. So I'm actually working with a friend right now who is in a pretty rigid structure. And it's a lot of work for us to put together a strategy that will help her to get promoted to the next level and get paid a little bit more appropriately because she already works for the company. And that's true for for most people. And so I see it actually more as a collaboration with your manager to figure out what the correct salary or maybe job title or both should be for you. And so it's less of, you know, when you're coming into the job, you have a lot of leverage because they have already indicated by offering you the job that on some level they need you. And that may be a more significant need in some cases than others. But they've said, hey, you know, we've invested resources in bringing you in. We want to bring you onto our team. Let's close this deal. And you have pretty high leverage because of all the money and time and man hours that they've spent to that point to get to the point where they make you an offer. Once you're in the company, they kind of have you locked in and they're kind of in the higher leverage situation because they're writing you a paycheck every two weeks or every month or however that works for your firm. And so I think it's more about going to your manager and saying, hey, I've been here for a while. Here are the things that I think I'm doing that are unanticipated ways that I add value that we didn't consider when my salary was set last. And I wonder if we can recoup some of that value for me in terms of a high, higher salary while I have these ideas and, and these things that I'm doing and bringing to the table. I coach people to, on a silver platter, give their manager everything they need to help get a raise approved for them, which includes the actual target raise amount, which is a lot different than when you're negotiating at a new job. I don't like to say the first number, <laughs> but when you're internal, I think asking for a specific amount makes it a lot easier for your manager. That's one less thing they need to do in their busy day yeah. um, and telling them why, what value you add. And so it's more of like a working with your manager, but doing it in a way where you give your manager everything they might need to get things approved by the finance team or the higher ups in the company. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Okay. So Josh, can you perhaps tell us about your worst career moments and what you learned from that experience? Gosh, there are two of them that come to mind here. I think honestly, the worst career moment for me was it was my second to last day job. So my penultimate day job. And I ended up just through kind of a series of unfortunate events, having a manager who, in my opinion, really wasn't qualified to be a manager, but he had been just continuously promoted because he had been with the firm so long. And at big companies like the company I was at, a lot of times you become a manager, not because you're qualified to manage people, but because your pay demands that you become a manager. They can't continue to justify the amount they're paying you unless you have direct reports and you're kind of at a higher level in the org chart. And so that was a real eye-opening moment for me. And I think it was the tipping point. I kind of always wanted to start my own business and do my own thing and kind of go out on my own. But working for that particular manager in that difficult work environment made me realize that this could happen to me at any time. Um, I didn't ever really have agency over what work I did and who I worked for. And that the only way that I would have true agency is if I actually took control of it and eventually found a way out of the day job world and into my own thing, which is a better fit for me personally. It's not for everyone, but for me personally. So just having a bad manager for about a year was really trying for me personally and made me question a lot of the career decisions I had made and eventually ultimately related, resulted in you know me writing my book and going out on my own. 
And in terms of your career highlight, can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, there was a time when, in a weird way, this didn't quite work out for me, but I ended up kind of working back in my consulting days for software companies that did HR software. I worked my way into kind of a special two-person team that was really kind of a solutions architect team where we were looking at the high-level software that the company was developing. And for me, that was the most kind of exciting time in my career because I had an opportunity to not only apply everything I had learned about consulting, but also to kind of merge that with product design, which I had worked on at the time I was working on my MBA and so business acumen. And so that was the time in my career when I felt the most kind of open to really creating something and blue skying ideas and that sort of thing, which, you know, ironically is a lot like being an entrepreneur on the outside. But of course, that resulted in me eventually getting let go from that company because they were downsizing. Um, But in the moment, the career highlight, I think, was that moment because I had the opportunity to kind of bring all of the skills together inside a company and see that, you know, if you combine a bunch of different skills and background, that you can do things that are higher level that are not just building widgets in a factory, for example, but you can actually design systems and design things that people will use one day. And that was a lot of fun for me personally. Now, that sounds good. Sort of realizing and seeing the sort of fruits of your labor, as it were, and and seeing how it benefits other people. Yes. Okay. In terms of the IT industry and careers in IT, can you maybe give us your opinion on, on where that's going and what excites you about it? It's really interesting as kind of an outsider because I work with people mostly who are experienced software developers. And right now, you know, software development is, is sort of the maybe the most kind of popular occupation in the world. Uh, it's huge with all these different schools teaching people how to write code and, and transition into that career. And so I'm really bullish on the IT industry in general and with just people using software and technical solutions to really hard problems that we've struggled to solve so far. And I think, you know, right now, at least in my business as a, as a coach, I'm seeing a lot of machine learning and AI experts who are really rising to the top. They're being paid very well. And I think that says a lot about the fact that pretty much any company nowadays that's a software company or, or even kind of not a software company needs algorithms or AI or machine learning. And so I think it's a really interesting shift. You know, if you think of like, if you want to start an online furniture company, you're going to need algorithms and AI to figure out how to sell furniture to the right people, how to handle your logistics and ship on time and cheaply so that you can keep maintain margins. So it's really interesting now that I think we're, we're moving into a new frontier where in general, IT is a huge huge asset to all sorts of people who are starting businesses and who want to be efficient and provide good products at a low price and a high margin so they can make a living doing that. And I think it's enabling a lot of smaller businesses, but also enabling a lot of really big businesses to do very cool stuff that's sort of changing the way that we perceive the world in very positive ways. So I, I think in general, I think that industry is just now kind of starting to move upward. Yeah. I presume, obviously, you talk to a lot of people about their careers regarding salary negotiation. Do you see a lot of this reflected in what you talk about to the people when it comes to salary? Because obviously salary isn't just about maybe looking at salary in isolation. It comes with all the other things that people are doing and what they provide. So do you see those trends that you've just talked about reflected in in what the people you're talking to um, are talking to you about, if you see what I mean? I do. You know, it's interesting because this may be a small sample size recently, but I've noticed that maybe the past eight to 12 months, 
that a lot of the people that I work with have more than one offer that they're considering. And I think that this is, you know, one reason I feel so, so bullish on the, on IT in general. And so they'll come to me and say, well, I have an offer from this company and this company and this company, and we'll negotiate the offers. And a lot of times they will end up taking the offer that does not necessarily yield the highest compensation package, which is really interesting to me because I think for a long time, I assumed that everyone would just sort of take whatever the most pay was. But I've seen a lot of people recently who say, you know, that company offered me more money, but this company offers me a better opportunity to do something that I find fulfilling and fun. And so I think that's one of the advantages to IT in general is that at some level, you can make enough money that you're going to be comfortable. And then from there, it's choosing between, do I want more money to put in my bank account or do I want to do something that's more fulfilling and more interesting? And so that comes up a lot in my coaching engagements where it turns out that's kind of the last step for me is, okay, well, we negotiated these three offers. All of them are now pretty good offers. Some of them have made bigger improvements than others, but which one is most interesting to you and will give you the most interesting thing to work on now that will be the most fulfilling for you, but also give you the most opportunity in the future if you want to continue to walk up the staircase or kind of escalate your career. So I, I think there's a lot more optionality right now, which is really interesting. And so that's a big part of all my engagements is kind of comparing offers and salary is often you know a significant component, but not the only component, which is kind of surprising sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. You ready for this? I'm ready. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? This is going to sound silly, but I just remember the first time that I ever used a DOS computer. So now I'm kind of dating myself, but I just remember <laughs> thinking how magical it was that you could type in, you know, like DIR enter, and it would show you a list of stuff that was available to look at on the computer. I remember the day that happened. I remember where I was. And I think from that moment on, I thought there's something magic here and I want to know more about that. And so that was like middle school for me. So, you know, sixth or seventh grade. And I decided I'm going to do something with computers and I think at the time I kind of understood it would be computer engineering, computing software, but I didn't even know what those were. And so I think that was the first thing that attracted me to it was seeing like the magic that can be done with a keyboard and a computer and a screen and the cool stuff you could get back. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? When I was just about to leave my very first full-time day job, I had a, a great manager. His name was Maher. And um, as I was leaving, he gave me, I think, the best the best advice, which was, he could see that I was really ambitious. I was trying really hard to get raises and promotions. And he said, um, you need to understand that with your career, your first job is just your first job. It's where you learn how to show up on time to work, how to have a manager, how to do good work, how to produce results. The second job is where you get real career experience and build your resume and have things that are valuable that you can start adding to your repertoire. And your third job is where you get paid. And so he, he kind of helped me to kind of slow down a little bit and be more intentional about the work that I was doing as opposed to just trying to get rewarded financially for the work. And I think he was spot on with that. And it turned out that my third job was my first kind of big paycheck. And I think I, I use that to encourage a lot of people that, yes, I, I coach on salary negotiation, but early in your career, a lot of the times it's about figuring out, you know, the blocking and tackling the nuts and bolts of how to have a career. And so I think that was the best advice that I've ever gotten. And conversely, what is the worst career advice you've ever received? I had mentioned earlier when you asked me like my worst career moment, and this is the thing I'm going to say now was kind of the, the runner up for that. So it was honest, but I had a manager also at that first job. This is actually the reason I left that first job was I was ambitious. I was getting raises and promotions faster than most people. And he sat me down in his office one day and he drew a little X, Y axis on his whiteboard and he drew a straight line, you know, 45 degrees from the origin up and to the right. And he said, that's your 
salary and your job responsibilities over the course of your career at this company. It's going to last about 25 or 30 years, and then you'll retire with a nice pension. He said, right now you're here. And he started putting like a little scatter plot, little dots above the line. You know, you're making more money. So you're actually outpacing this line right now. He said, but you will regress to the mean. Everyone does over their career. And so you should just get comfortable with that. And of course, he thought that he was calming me down and helping me get comfortable with a 30-year career at that company. But what he actually did was convince me in that moment that that was not the right place for me because I wanted to get rewarded for the actual work that I did and not just for surviving for 30 years. And so yes. he actually caused me to leave that company. So it was bad advice for them. It was probably good advice for me. So maybe I kind of cheated on that. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so if you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? I think that I would do something similar to what I did was I, I studied a dual degree in computer and electrical engineering. I probably would specialize in AI or machine learning. And the reason for that is I think those are very interesting problem areas and the people that I've coached who are making really big paychecks, I mean, making a lot of money to do really fun stuff for big companies are machine learning experts. And so I just think for the next 20 or 30 years, machine learning and AI are going to be a huge industry. And I would probably specialize a little bit more and focus on those things because I think that they're going to be such a big part of our world going forward. Sure. And obviously going back to the sort of financial side, that's where you see the rewards are going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, right now, so I'm on the fence about that because I think people are making a lot of money now that will change as more, you know, more people learn this. Like you can't really hire like an undergrad machine learning expert right now. They just don't exist. And that's going to change. They are going to be undergrad, but I still think that there's huge value in it. And in the same way that there's a huge demand for software developers and, and technical people right now, I think there will continue to be a huge demand for machine learning and algorithm experts, especially in the next 10 to 20 years, just because like I said, that's really the foundation of almost every company that's being built now is some sort of AI or, or intelligent manipulation of data. And from your own side, what are your career objectives at the moment? So for me, I have an interesting career because I'm kind of outside of, of maybe the normal kind of way that your listeners think about careers. But my career is one where I'm an entrepreneur and I, I kind of do my own thing. And so in the short term, I'm just trying to figure out how to continue to offer good coaching services and how to identify the people that I can provide the most value for so that they are getting the most results for their investment in my coaching, but also so that I'm providing the best service possible to everybody that works with me. At the macro level, I'm trying to figure out kind of what I can do next to teach people something that I know. So the last thing that I taught people that I know is salary negotiation. And before that, uh, I spent about 10 years playing poker and I wrote a poker book and taught people that. And so I think the next thing is probably what can I learn and take away from the work that I've done to build my business as a salary negotiation coach? What things are there that I might be able to teach other people who are thinking about trying to be an entrepreneur or trying to go out on their own yeah. that would actually be useful to them or not just idiosyncratic to my own situation? So I think a lot about that. And, and I think that's the next thing that I like to focus on is how to teach people to make decisions that help them to arrive at a business that works for them kind of like I did for myself. Okay. I think that sort of plays into the next question as well, which which relates probably to your sort of entrepreneurial approach. So what is the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? I'm going to throw you a curveball here, I think. So I think it's communication, diplomatic communication. So one thing that most of my clients are afraid of is, is saying something that's going to make a recruiter angry or that's going to sour the relationship with the hiring manager. And I am not even remotely afraid of that because I'm just very comfortable with communicating in ways that convey ideas that can be aggressive and stand for myself while also not being off-putting. And I think that non-technical skill actually comes from a very weird class that I took in undergrad called technical writing. 
It was supposed to be, you know, just a core requirement for engineers. But we had a couple of assignments where we had to write bad newsletters to people without using any negative words. So for example, a rejection letter from a college to an applicant without using a single negative word. Yep. And although at the time I thought it was absurd and it was dumb because they would knock off a letter grade for every negative word that you used, it taught me how to think in a way that allows me to convey bad news sometimes or to ask for really big things or to convey disappointment without actually using negative words. And I think that permeates kind of everything that I do and that's what makes my methodology for, as a salary negotiation coach kind of unique is that I'm asking for big things. And even when we get kind of a setback, I just continue to move forward with positive language. And I think that opens a lot of doors. And I think it can open a lot of doors for people professionally as well when dealing with setbacks or disappointment or even negative language for the, from other people. Um, finding a way to say something without using negative words, I think, can have a lot of benefits, especially because then when you do use negative words, it really stands out as like, wow. We need to stop and listen because that's unusual for Josh. Yes. Um, so I think it's that's probably it. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? I test stuff all the time. Um, and I think this could be something, you know, you have to be careful if you have um, kind of a, a more normal career where you work for a company. But the thing that I like to do most, to be honest, is take risks and say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen if I try this new thing in my business, but I want to find out. And being comfortable with the idea that I'm going to do something that will quote unquote fail. So maybe it won't generate more revenue or won't get more customers in a particular month, but that I will actually learn from the failure itself. And so I like to try things, even if I think that it's going to cost me money or time in the short term, just because sometimes you're surprised and maybe it doesn't cost you money or time in the short term. And it turns out that was a positive thing to try, or I'll learn more about myself and my business from seeing not only did that thing quote unquote fail, but what was the mechanism that caused it to fail? How did it fail? And what can I learn from that? And for some reason, I just like running little tests like that all the time and just seeing what happens and learning from those things. Sure. Do you do comparison tests as well? Do you try the, the same thing in two different, slightly different ways? I do. Um, usually kind of uh, serially. So it's difficult to do comparison tests side by side a lot of times because of confounding factors. But I will try something and then try something that's kind of the opposite behind it just to see what happens. So I'm definitely comparing things all the time, including, you know, at the macro level, even like my pricing structure for my coaching, I change it around all the time because I'm looking for what's the best way for me to make a living, but also what's the most valuable way for me to offer this service to people that makes them comfortable and that makes them feel like we're partners in this thing and that we're, we're aligning our incentives. So yes, I will, I will compare things a lot of times, sometimes simultaneously in parallel and sometimes serially. And what do you do in your spare time away from your career? I spend a lot of time in my community. I live in a small town called Gainesville, Florida, near the University of Florida. I have a really strong group of friends that I spend a lot of time with, play a lot of sports, and just generally try to make sure that I am getting out of my house and I'm spending time with people and in my community and getting to know people so that I'm able to kind of take advantage of the fact that I work for myself and I set my own schedule which can be nice if you're responsible with it, but can be sort of um, a detriment if, if I just allow myself to kind of hang out at my house all the time. Yeah. So I, I try to spend time with friends is, is the sort of generic answer to that. And a lot of that is sports and competition and playing games and, and stuff like that. So Josh, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? Yeah. So earlier I said that you should always negotiate your salary. And I will say that the trick with that is it's a little deceiving because I think salary negotiations often begin before we are aware they're happening. And what I mean by that is early on in a negotiation, 
you'll be asked, you know, what's your current salary? What's your salary history? What are you making right now? And a lot of times, what do you expect to make? You know, what are you, what are you hoping to make if we, if we offer this job to you? And it's framed as an interview question or even a pre-screen question. They're asking you that question so they can put you in for interviews. And so as a candidate, you'll be thinking, I better answer this question. I got to give them a number because if I don't, I might not get interviews. But I recommend that you don't answer that question with numbers. And then instead you kind of sidestep it and just say, you know, I really don't have a number in mind. I prefer to focus on the value that I'll add in this role. And I want this move to be a big step forward for me in terms of responsibility and compensation. And I look forward to hearing what you think if we get to that stage of the interview. And I think that's the biggest mistake that most people make. It's the soapbox I spend the most amount of time on. And so the biggest piece of career advice I can give is don't name the first number in the negotiation and understand that negotiation can begin very early in the interview process. It may not begin once you get a job offer, but could have begun even in the pre-screen process or early on the application process. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. And Josh, finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? Sure. So I'm on Twitter. I read Twitter a lot and I'm active on there. And so it's at Josh Duty, just my name. Um, if you have questions, reach out to me anytime. I'm happy to answer them there. And my site uh, is fearlesssalarynegotiation.com. Yes, you can buy my book and look at my coaching offering there, but I also have provided about the most free content I can imagine providing. I do everything I can to provide resources that will actually help people when they find them. And so if you have career questions, especially around interviewing and negotiating job offers, fearlesssalarynegotiation.com has a ton of free stuff, and I hope that you'll take advantage of it and try and do something better for yourself next time you change jobs. Josh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for having me, Phil. This was a lot of fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in to today's episode and to my guest career tips, advice and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e and then the number of today's episode. And a quick reminder that the show has now three episodes every week on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show to get new episodes automatically downloaded. Also, don't forget to join the IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. You'll get to engage with other like-minded people, get to find out more about upcoming guests and other episodes, and can get involved in the future direction of the podcast. It really is a great pleasure to be able to talk to so many inspirational people from across the industry and to be able to share their stories and advice with you. Thanks for listening, and remember... If you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.